listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hello, hello, everyone. It's good to be back with you after a brief hiatus for the 4th of July. I know Father Tim is in studio with me, Father Tim Grumba. Always so good to be here. It's always a joy to have you, Father Tim. We're just telling people, if you haven't checked him out before, we do have behind the scenes a video in studio where you can see what both of us look like, jump on and engage during the show and ask your questions. In fact, I would love to hear from you guys because in a couple weeks, we're going to have a licensed marriage and family therapist in studio. So please send Send in your questions. You can personal message me on Instagram and Facebook. In the meantime, coming up later in the show, we're going to be asking the question, what is freedom? Here we are in the month of July celebrating Independence Day. And at the same time, a really core value of Americans is this idea of freedom. But I think we have a really different idea of what freedom is in comparison to other people. Yeah, right off the bat, a lot of people will think freedom and think this uh, absolute autonomy of I get to choose what is right and wrong. I get to choose whatever I want to do. But you know, in our great Catholic tradition, we know that freedom is really having the freedom to do what we ought to do, which means there is something moral underneath every th- choice that we make, every choice that we are given to make. And we have the choice to do right and wrong because right and wrong exist. And because you know, baptized into the body of Christ, that we, it is our duty, it is who we are, it's a part of who we are to search that out and to act on it, to make that choice. We have the freedom to do what we ought to do. So, and I love how you say that because freedom is about doing something, not the lack of, yet the modern idea is we become so isolated, we think we're free to be free of any responsibility ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yet we find many people have found themselves rather unhappy in that type of mindset. We want to tell you some stories today on trending about specifically men who have left specific types of lifestyles that they thought they were free in, but in fact was quite the opposite. One man shares his story that he was married with three daughters after years ago in the past, having experienced same-sex attraction, living a very actively gay lifestyle. But I want to start with another story first, and that is of another gentleman who lived a same-sex lifestyle acting out on that attraction. He's now 31. His name's Adonis Bernish. And he says, I'm not denying who I am because I was never really that in the first place with regard to a same-sex attraction. The language of identity is so important because that really is the rallying cry inside and outside of the church. And that's something that really concerns me is that when those speaking in the church are using the language of identity to talk about those who are experiencing same-sex attraction is that we will, you know, it's a little bit wordier and a little bit uh, burdensome to be able to say that, but uh, we will use the language, hopefully within the church of, you know, people who experience same-sex attraction rather than talking about gay people um, L- LGBT Catholics, and that's the language that we have chosen to use. 
And, you know, you'll have certain voices in the church that will say, no, we need to speak of, you know, of people as gay, as LGBT, because this is their identity. There was a, a homily from a rather prominent priest recently uh, speaking at a pride event who was very clear about, you know, this is your identity. This is who God created you to be. And that has never been the official teaching of the church. And why that really should concern us is because when we begin to speak of someone's identity as their attractions, then they will have the temptation not to dive any further into who they are and who their really identity is as sons and daughters of God. If they say my identity is wrapped up and defined by my attractions, attractions make a a big part of our identity, but it's, it's absolutely not our whole identity. And there's a difference between saying something like be who you want to be and be yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are two different things and be what you want to be. We can't just make up who we are. Mm-hmm. We can't become something that we're not. That's acting. There's a reason that it's done on television and we recognize something is fake. It's not real. And yet I think a lot of people because of their experiences think that they have to, because of their insecurity, be something other than who they are. But that's not freedom. That's slavery to mm-hmm. some form of ideology or false identity as you're talking about. Right. And you know, that real concern that people won't be able to dive more deeply into who they are and who they were created to be is, you know, we'll, we'll look a lot at the, the pride parades and everything that's, that's going on out there. And, and uh, people will say, well, this is who I am. This is who God created to me, me to be. And Jesus would be here with us. I'm like, well, why would Jesus be there with you? It'd be to call you into your greater identity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of Catholics are feeling uh, really conflicted and uh, there's a lot of tension right now. Like, should we be at these events? And we've talked about this recently mm-hmm. in the past, uh, Bishop Tobin in, in Rhode Island and the flack that he got for his tweet about not going to these events. And I think this is the major concern that uh, the, the, the teachers of, and preachers of the Catholic faith should have is, are we leaving people to define themselves by their attractions and not giving them the opportunity to dive more deeply into who God created them to be. And geez, like I'm looking at Adonis's story. Here's a 31 year old man who's saying, I left Mm -hmm. a lifestyle that I recognize was not really who I was in the first place. And he ends up saying, it's been the Lord who has transformed me and called me by name. And he says, it is he who has given me identity hope and purpose. And, you know, I look at this man and what's incredible for those who don't know, and I really want you to hear this because we are surrounded by a media message and a culture, friends, family member who will say otherwise and not want to hear stories like this. This is one of many men and in fact, women who march at the annual freedom marches that also take place during Pride Month. And these freedom marches take place in Washington, D.C. as really a symbol of we are men and women who have been called into the reality of our sexuality and not that, you know, there are people throughout, oh, well, are you doing conversion therapy? Are you doing this? And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. But in fact, these men and women are saying, no, we recognize our identity in Christ and we're choosing to live according to our identity in God as male and female. Right. And just going to the teaching of the catechism about those who experience same-sex attraction is for the most part, it's pretty consistent in the language that it uses is in describing, you know, using the uh, the adjective homosexual in a very technical way, describing actions and inclinations, but not persons. Right. I, I need to look at the translation or the original Latin, perhaps, because the last paragraph in the, the three paragraphs on homosexuality refers to homosexual persons. And I find that, you know, I'm not 
criticizing the catechism too much, but it, it found I found it very inconsistent because it's pretty good about referring to inclinations, to mm-hmm. actions as intrinsically disordered, but then the last paragraph refers to homosexual persons. And I think that's a little bit off from what the church, church intends to teach ultimately about a person's identity and them finding themselves in Christ. What seems shocking to some people, but really is the great part of the gospel that finds its way into the catechism and so into our lives, is that it says that those who experience same-sex attraction, who have these inclinations, uh, disordered as the inclinations may be, can reach through friendship, prayer, uniting their sufferings to the cross, Christian perfection, that's mm-hmm. sainthood, is that we're, we're saying people who experience this can become saints, while so much of the wider culture out there is mischaracterizing the church's teaching, saying that you know the, the, the church hates gay people, the church mm-hmm. sends gay people to hell. Like, no, they, they're going to be saints, and they deserve, as has been said, a full part in the church's life. In this, it says that they are welcomed into the sacramental life of the church, but it also makes demands on them as it, as it does on anybody else. And that it, it requires a, a searching for grace in our life, a conforming ourselves to the body of Christ through the teaching of the church, through obedience to the teachers of the church and living in the sacramental life. We, we want everybody to be living as a part of the sacramental life and leading towards Christian perfection. And you know what, Father Tim, something really stands out to me about that. And by the way, those who are just joining us, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Shout out to everyone listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trend with Timory, you know, as you're saying that, Father, all are called to the sanctity, right? And whether you experience same-sex attraction, whether you find yourself living with someone outside of marriage, we're called to purify the current situations we're in to reunite ourselves to what God is calling us to, to be saints. And one of the challenges I have for everyone listening is not to be overly approving, and not to get to the point where they're, you're condemning. So you don't want to approve same-sex attraction and you don't want to just kind of be shouting at people and condemning it. It's with love that we justly teach what is and is not true. That's different from condemning and picking on a person. But here's where I think the reality of this sets in. There are people in our families, in our friendships, in our churches who are experiencing same-sex attraction and they're not publicly sharing their battle. They're not talking about the pain that they may have experienced in the past or currently experienced because they're choosing to follow the church. They are choosing to live chaste lives. And just because they're not coming out and defining so much of who they are by that doesn't mean that they aren't struggling with a real real battle and cross day to day that our approval and our overly zealous condemnation can make it even harder. Yeah. And, and being careful about the way we use the language of the cross is I have definitely had some difficult conversations with, uh, with people I've grown up with who uh, are experiencing same sex attraction who find themselves a part of that culture, even the LGBT culture. And they've taken great issue with me speaking about their experience as a cross. Mm. And so I have to admit, I don't know their experience in the way that they do, but it's really important that we be able to speak about it that way and say, you know, when I speak of an experience being a cross, I'm not saying it's a ball and chain that weighs us down, Mm. but it's an experience that requires great 
sacrifice from us, but also great generosity of heart, obedience, everything that Christ experienced on the cross, that it becomes this great act of love that makes us into saints. And we don't want to talk about just suffering without also talking about the resurrection. And that reminds me about what's coming up, and I think it really ties together. We're going to be talking about what an exorcist says is the greatest demonic danger. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Coming up, Father Tim Grumbach and I will be talking about something really important for your day-to-day lives. What is the greatest threat that exorcists point to in the demonic realm? Coming up, Father Tim and I will be talking about that. In the meantime, we were just telling the story of a man by the name of Adonis Bernish, and he talks about his coming back into full identity with Christ rather than living in a same-sex lifestyle. And one thing that really stood out to me is how he talked about his wounded manhood. Mm -hmm. And Father Tim, he actually talked about how his father died when he was nine and how he was constantly turning toward other men. He was looking for freedom. He wanted to be wanted by people of the same sex. And he had this self-rejection for himself. But I found it really interesting how he kept pointing about back to that wounded manhood he experienced. Yeah, and it's something our whole culture is experiencing is this misunderstanding of masculinity. We'll hear that term toxic masculinity when (laughs) much of what they're pointing to is just maybe an unhealthy version of what is needed in men these days. And nine years old is what a tragic time, um, so vitally important for a, a boy growing into a man to see an example in his father. And so, so much of what we see in the culture that's broken, we can point back to this, this, this brokenness in fatherhood, that missing fathers, and it just continues to grow worse and worse as men who don't have fathers become, uh, may become uh, sometimes very good fathers, but also may run away themselves. And so it's this you know, perpetual cycle of uh, a, a broken fatherhood in our culture. Well, and this is what's so interesting about so much of the testimony from people of the same-sex community, specifically men. I have daddy issues. Mm -hmm. I have daddy issues. And they'll even make kind of very base jokes about it all the time. Well, you know, I have daddy issues. Mm -hmm. And they move on with what they're conversing about. But this is at the heart, this lost masculinity. And, you know, so much of the psychological studies show that masculinity is really an achievement. It's something you come into. You know, boys are often raised by their mothers from the earliest age. You know, women are are more, have more of a stronger tendency to care for the child when they're younger. You know, breastfeeding, all of these elements. But there's a certain point, if we look at all the different cultures internationally, where there's a coming into manhood, Mm -hmm. a hunt, Mm -hmm. a bar mitzvah, whatever it might be, where there's a little bit of a separation of the boy from, say, his sisters and his Mm -hmm. mother to be more present with men and to learn what it is to protect, provide, to grow strength, which all of these ultimately point to an interior reality for men, not just an exterior show. Right. And so, you know, Adonis's search for manhood at this point in his life, you know, 31, 32 years old, he, he's, you know, right around then, I think he is, uh, to say that it's been that long that he, he hasn't really been searching about what it means to be a man, what, what masculinity means, uh, is a tragedy, but he is not alone. 
Right. I, I think that the perpetual adolescence, they will say, is reaching somewhat into the mid-20s, but I would say it's probably reaching into the mid-30s in our culture now. Absolutely. As, uh, you know, that, that men are not giving, being given these opportunities to, you know, of, you know rites of passage, of, of saying, okay, you are a man now. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it, it means that you've had to sacrifice something. And that is over and over again, the, the further I de- dive into this, the more I see that sacrifice is so vitally important for a man to understand his masculinity. And it's a different kind of sacrifice than a, than a woman can give in motherhood that a man gives in fatherhood is that uh, a, a woman, in a sense, will be sacrificing something very much within herself uh, to receive love, nurture love, and to bear it out to the world. But a, a man is, is being called to sacrifice in a very different way uh, you know, very much of himself, but in a, in a provisional, you know, providing kind of mm-hmm. way and a protecting kind of way. And for a man in his 30s to have never experienced that, never been able to search that out, uh, I, I guess it's it's better late than never. But we have a culture of men who are not being taught what it means to sacrifice until very late in life. Yeah, and I think of Daniel Matson, who you mentioned when we were preparing for the show. He has a fantastic book. I am begging you, if you do nothing else at the end of the show, please do this. Go buy the book. It came out a couple of years ago. It's why I don't call myself gay. And it, part of his story is he talks about how he just wanted to be friends with the other boys. And this is something that young men need, but also grown adult men. We're living in a culture where these men are going through midlife crises because they have partially no male friendships to help keep them accountable in their marriages, in their workforce, in order to call them into their mission. One of the things I very much appreciate about Daniel Matson's book is it's philosophically sound. Yes. You know, he's he's a, a brilliant man, a great writer. Uh, the first part of the book is actually his testimony, and it's very powerful just how open and vulnerable he is about his relationships and his need for God, his need for Christ, and the journey and the brokenness he experienced in order to find his need. But then he's he's not afraid to say, you know, this is what the church has always taught. This is the philosophical background of it. You know, and so people can come up and try and argue against him and say, well, you're just, you know, self-loathing uh, or you're not really gay or something like that. And and he'll be able to, you know, very intelligently, very eloquently share his experience, but also share the church's teaching, the philosophical background of that. And, and it's, we need more voices like that. Absolutely. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. We're talking about people who have turned from the lifestyle of a gay lifestyle. Gay is not an identity. Same-sex attraction isn't what defines you. It's an attraction. It's when we act out on it, when it becomes problematic and sinful. And one man by the name of Brian Wheelock, he also spoke at the Freedom Marches this past month, and he talks about how how 16 years ago, he thought that he was born this way. He thought he was born gay. He thought that he was free, but he realized how empty he was. And in his search for freedom and happiness, he really found the church. He found the church and just incredible how he talks about how ultimately when he turned to God, and I'm going to read this from him. I quote, when he chose to die to self and become a follower of Jesus Christ, All of a sudden, he found where his identity really was. This man's now married with three daughters. And so much of his discernment was in that daily struggle of prayer is, you know, day in and day out as he tells his story that he he kind of created this oath, this this promise to God. And every day he would sign it again. He Mm -hmm. would say it out loud once or twice a day and and he would promise this anew. To God and he would sign it and there's there's actually pictures throughout the article of the many 
pages of paper filled with his signature and the date that he signed it. And it's this beautiful testament to the power of prayer. And he says, you know, it's not that I, you know, <laughs> prayed the gay away. Um, that's, that's so surface, that's so simplistic. No, what happened was, you know, he began to, to enter in this relationship with God and prayer became this response to the transformation that God was forming in his heart. And he was willing to make, you know, tremendous sacrifices. Uh, he put his relationship on the line with his, you know, his, what would be, you know, soon to be wife at this time when he had this conversation with her and said, this is my past. Uh, do you want to run away? <laughs> and she actually drew closer to him at that moment. Yeah. And it was a really beautiful and vulnerable moment where he owned up to his past, but also recognized that, you know, God is the one doing the transformation here. I posted the video of his testimony on social media because in fact, his wife, Pam gets up on stage with him and she talks about it. And I think it's so powerful to see how, and she mentions, you know, God was even preparing her heart mm -hmm. for what he was going to tell her. And he says, you know, her reaction when he first shared that what his past was, was okay. Like, do you want to go get ice cream? Like that yeah, was heavy. Yeah, Let's go yeah. get ice cream and should I'll have some questions for you later. But it was so neat to see how she sees the power of God in transforming men and women into his likeness. And Brian, in his daily covenant that he signs morning and night for 16 years now, he in this covenant talks about how he reads scripture. He emphasizes friendship and accountability partner, purity, and how he, because he signs it morning and night, it was never like Father Tim said trying to pray the gay away, but he was choosing to find his identity in God and to live a pure lifestyle. Yeah, and we use that phrase, uh, you know, almost to mock it, you know, because we, we, we don't believe, you know, you can pray the gay away. Right. You know, it's just, it's a phrase that, that has been used. And um, so we're not endorsing it, right? right. But, but we're showing that um, prayer is always going to be a part of the transformation. Yeah. And the, the way he tells the story, it's not that, you know, he prayed to be changed. He didn't pray for that. He prayed, God, use these attractions, however you will use them. And if you need to transform them, do that. But if you're going to, you know, glorify yourself through my experience of attractions, then do that as well. And this is the way that God has transformed him. It's a beautiful testimony. And one thing I really want to touch on briefly at the end of the testimony in the video that I sent out, the interviewer keeps asking him, what do you think about conversion therapy? What do you think about conversion therapy? And he's like, to be honest, I don't even really know what that is. And I think that's such a powerful moment because there's a lot of confusion where people think that Christians, Catholics are just trying to create these conversion camps. And in fact, no, they're trying to heal wounds and they're trying to say your identity is in God and God calls each of us just like every single person he healed from every infirmity. He'd say, go and sin no more. That's what he's calling each of us to do. And I think of my guest, Michael Gasparo, a few weeks ago, who shares a similar testimony. And the work he's doing has nothing to do with conversion therapy. He's helping to heal wounds of sexual molestation, of obsessive compulsive disorder, and other deep sexual addictions that as a result of healing these different disordered behaviors, suddenly the same-sex attraction begins to dissipate as a byproduct. And I know that Michael is working with uh, the son of Dr. Nicolosi, who wrote a number of books about this, and I believe was you know at the beginning of what is called reparative therapy, yes. right? Uh, a term that I believe he himself didn't even like because it's it, reintegrative it, therapy, right? It makes people think that you're trying to repair something that's broken when um, in in the attractions when the reparative was so really so much more about realizing what are these actions and these attractions trying to repair in my life and mm -hmm. getting, you know, and my understanding is I think Amazon has actually removed uh, Dr. Nicolosi's books from sale recently. recently. Oh, 
um, because it, it doesn't uh, it's not in tune with their community's guidelines or or expectations or um, or whatnot and you know while you can still find uh, books like Mein Kampf and uh, books like that and so it's a, a very strange thing that somebody could be so misunderstood that uh, while trying to bring healing into the lives of people that the culture say no these people do not need healing they're perfect just the way they are and they were born this way and I want to really encourage everyone Dr. Joseph Nicolosi has tremendous resources especially if you are a family member who's carrying this cross I really recommend you check them out. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I'm back in studio with Father Tim Grumbach, who is the Associate Priest at St. Augustine Parish in the Los Angeles Diocese. Please go check out his Masses if you can, attend Mass in the area. He's also getting ready to hit the road for the Life Teen Camps in Texas. So if you're headed out there, be sure to tell him hello. Let him know that you're listening to the show. Yeah, that would be great. I'm so looking forward to it. So we wanted to get into what is freedom. And I think one of the best ways to talk about this question is by sharing one more story of a person who sought true liberation after a number of years, I believe six years working in the porn industry. Marky Moore is leaving after having performed in dozens of gay porn videos. He says he acted, he lied, he portrayed something that wasn't real, and he recognizes that it's damaging not only to him, but to the many relationships that he has had. And that's so powerful because he's 26 years old now, which means he's been acting in this since he was 20. And we know that, you know, men's brains aren't even fully developed until the early 20s. And so we have uh, somebody who's trying to find their identity in this and then as you know he continues to mature he begins to recognize this is this is breaking me this Mm -hmm. is not my identity he even tweeted out i've witnessed porn destroy numerous people friendships relationships and families it does far more harm than good for people and to hear somebody from right in the heart of the industry uh, be able to say that so boldly and to step away and to know there's redemption outside of this that this is not what defines me this is not the end of my story and that it's doing far more harm than good. We need more voices like this. What a powerful story. You know, I recently did a video with Middle Ground uh, for the show Middle Ground on Jubilee Media. And it's interesting, that's forthcoming, but one of the Middle Ground episodes that I was watching on YouTube had to do with the topic of pornography. And they had some people who worked specifically in the pornography industry on the opposing side, or should I say pro-porn side. And it was so interesting to me because I wish they could hear Marky Moore's message here where he says, lust is a monster and the more you feed it, the hungrier it becomes. This is such a reminder that sin does not make us free. It destroys our ability to choose. Right. And we've been talking about freedom during this episode and and so often how we'll think freedom is about freedom from something, freedom from restriction. But really freedom is about freedom for freedom for what we ought to be you know ought to do ought to be able to do again that there's a right and there's a wrong that you know this all comes down to the dignity of the human person mm-hmm. and every argument against uh, pornography is really about the dignity of the human person and people who may not even be able to see that dignity in themselves and uh, what you hear a lot about porn stars who have left the industry because of the harm that they see it doing is that they have to struggle with being able to forgive themselves for the harm that they've done to others. 
And some of the most beautiful stories are, are those who, you know, they go to speak to people, they go to even to individuals who've been watching their movies and say, I'm, I'm sorry for what um, my involvement in this has done to you, the way that it has broken your own life. And they, they see it as more than this is just harming me, but this is harming a culture. Mm-hmm. And this is enslaving a culture that has been lied to, being told that this will make you free. To do whatever you want to do is freedom, rather than you know, having the freedom to do what one ought to do. We have to remember to pray for Marky Moore and the many others we've talked about who have left lives of sin and are turning toward true identity and living as they were created to be as male and female, which makes us turn to the question of what is freedom? Such a profound value that we speak about, but in multiple viewpoints, do we stand on this issue? And ultimately freedom is grounded in our creation as being made in the image and likeness of God, a term, a phrase that often kind of can get a little annoying to be quite frank. You know, I love it when people say, Oh, Oh, God is love. You're made in God's image and likeness. But what does that mean? It means if God made us in his image and likeness, he made us for love, just like he is love. And in order to love, we have to have two things, intellect and free will, because we have to come to know something and freely choose it in order to be free to love. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to natural law too. Again, we've spoken about this before, not the laws of nature, but natural law is actually a way for us to understand what gives us freedom uh, without necessarily a divine revelation, but just looking at creation and understanding the way that uh, creation has put to, been put together by a loving creator is to know that, you know, f- for one, that we have, um, that, that nature itself is free, you know, that, that it's, it's not being constrained by something. And so that means that it's moral is that, it, you know, there's, there's something that could be choices can be made. There is a free will that uh, gives us an ability to make, right and wrong choices. Uh, nature's also intelligible. It's something that we can understand. We wouldn't have science if, if nature was unintelligible. Well, if you think about it, we would be nothing if we weren't ordered mm-hmm. to something. I mean, yeah. even just the way you study science, like you're saying, there has to be an order. That's what's so profound about scientific experiments, discovery about how the solar system works, about how plants grow. There's a specific order if there's an order in nature, isn't there an order in the nature of the human person that because of that intellect and free will, that means that our lifestyle makes us more human based on the good free choices that we actually make. And that word order is so technical as well, because it's, it's ordered as in it's, uh, it's intelligible. It can be understood, but it's also ordered towards something, right? Our freedom is not just from something, but it's for something it's ordered towards something. And so, uh, that the third term for natural law is it's teleological, right? It has an end, it has a purpose. And so everything that we look at that is intelligible has a purpose. And that's one of the great shortcomings of, you know, the way that culture speaks of sexuality is that, you know, the only order or the only end for sexuality seems to be pleasure. Um, you know, e- even maybe a, a, an attempt at an altruistic pleasure, but, but still, uh, we know in the Catholic teaching and the, the reality of natural law is that sexuality is ordered towards so much more than pleasure, but also bringing new life into this world. And we understand as Catholics that not just into this world, but into eternal life as well. And so to deny that about our sexuality or about any part of our life, the dignity of the human person, we're denying something that's, you know, so natural 
and built into who we are created in the image and the likeness of God. This is where your identity matters so much. We're made to be with God. That purpose that Father Tim is talking about is fundamental. And if we look to scripture and what Christ said, just taking a brief moment to look at the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1 21, he will save his people from all their sins. So God is not only going to call us to perfection, but it's he who will save us from our sins. That's why I look back at the story of the man who's now married with three daughters after years of a same-sex lifestyle and he talks about how essentially his freedom was in Christ again he didn't pray the gay away he prayed God I want to be your beloved son Mm -hmm. and that moment when it's promised that you know Jesus will take away the sins of his people that's Gabriel speaking to Joseph and any Jew at that time would have said well that's great but we also need to kick Rome out (laughs) and and so a lot of people will look at uh, the Catholic faith as, as trying to solve a problem that doesn't matter to them. And the Roman invasion. Uh, r- right, right. Yeah, like we, we need, um, uh, you know, social justice is more important than uh, the healing of sin, right? Um, uh, casting out the oppressors is more important than, uh, than being forgiven of our sins. That's, that's a temptation. It's or even the pro-life work is more right, important than right. going to church in our prayer right, life. Right, I right, see this yeah. happen as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's the, the, one of the great temptations of the enemy is to put, uh, important things ahead of the most important things. Mm-hmm. And so for God to promise that Jesus was going to take away the sins of the people, but not promise that he was going to kick the Romans out. Um, Really, that's it, God? But we're reminded that we have the language of sin. We have the language of redemption and forgiveness. And that's what's really most important. And so every time we go into the confessional, one of the most important questions is, what have I put before God? What have I chosen to be more important than what God has chosen to be most important? And the wider culture is unable to speak in the language of sin and redemption. And so can only perhaps speak in the language of pleasure and absolute autonomy. Well, and think of the joy and the freedom. When you enter into that confessional, there's so much sometimes anxiety and fear. The longer you wait to go to confession, the more that will build up. If you make confession a regular and truthfully honest habit, that fear and anxiety dissipates. You know, I even notice, you know, if I go longer than a couple weeks in going to confession, I have suddenly started this little bit of anxiety about going or, oh, maybe I can go next week. But if you make it a habit, you realize that once you've come out of that confessional, all of a sudden that joy, that peace, even if there are elements that there needs to be justice done, Mm -hmm. maybe to the people you have harmed, there's still that element that, you know, I have been healed. I have been forgiven. My sins have been blotted out in the eyes of God. And I love to say about confession that it's the place where the desire to impress goes to die, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly because I love to try to impress. And so when the confessional becomes a place where I can go and be unimpressive, that's really healing actually in a culture that's all about, you know, be as impressive and free and autonomous as you possibly can. Let yourself be a law. That's why I think a lot of this healing also comes back to the family because Mm -hmm. you're talking about confession and saying, I don't have to be impressive. Why is that? Because you're unconditionally loved. Mm -hmm. And it should be that within the home, you are unconditionally loved. Yes, bad, bad behavior should be punished, but you should still know you're loved. Yet we have generations now of children and now grown adults who always felt like they had to impress their parents in order in order to earn love. There's a reason why people are going no contact adult Mm -hmm. children, millennials, because they're sick of trying to impress their parents. And then the image of God as father becomes oppressive as well. 
in a culture that will only speak of a toxic masculinity, they will point to God as a projection of that toxic masculinity. And we're like, we, we dealt with this with Feuerbach. You know, we, we've had centuries to look at philosophy and say, no, God is not a projection that we've put on the divine of the humanity, but we as humans have the dignity of sharing in the reality of the divine trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is the love between them, that we're not projecting our weak love onto God, but God is pouring his love and his life and his freedom into our own lives. We'll be back in just a minute. Be sure to, during this break, find Father Tim Grumbach at Father Tim Grumbach on social media, Facebook, Instagram. You can find me at Tim Marie. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. great to be back with all of you. Please, I'm asking you to turn your phone into a mobile radio. Don't miss an episode of Trending. We're here giving you guys resources, talking points, breaking down the tough sexual issues of transgenderism, the gender ideology wave that's sweeping the nation, forcing its way into libraries for kids' school programs at kindergarten. In the state of California, we're seeing this introduced into the classrooms with kindergartners, teaching them gender-neutral pronouns and unfortunately getting into how to have gay sex. This is where the culture is going, which is why we're talking about these issues because we have to be more equipped. Father Tim Grumbach is in studio with me. Father Tim Grumbach, you know, you and I decided to talk today at the end of an episode about freedom, Mm -hmm. basically about the demonic presence. And we're living in a time where I think one of the greatest temptations is to not speak up. And I think that this is part of this demonic temptation today. Right. And some of the greatest spiritual writers of the church's history have pointed out that, you know, temptation is far more dangerous than possession. Yes. And demonic possession. Right, right. And and that's what we're looking into is a, an exorcist who points this out very clearly and says, you know, if we're going to understand our spiritual battle, let's understand our enemy and his tactics. Yeah. And one may think that if the devil has not possessed me, then he has you know no foothold in my life whatsoever. And, you know, the great quote from C.S. Lewis is that the the devils are are just as pleased if we ignore them as if we're obsessed over them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that we've got to be aware that temptation has found its way into our lives because we've given up our freedom. And that there are great protections against this. We have to remember that as there is a kingdom of saints and angels, there is a kingdom of the devil with fallen angels who are here to prowl about the world as we read in first Peter Mm -hmm. seeking the ruin of souls ultimately. And so when the Dominican father, Francois Dermin ended up saying that really the greatest demonic threat today is temptation. We need to take this more seriously, especially in a time of absolute carnal pleasure in our culture. And that temptation is the, is more dangerous right now, or, or at least more prevalent than possession, but also understanding what we mean by possession is demonic force, or a personal force. Dem- you know, demons aren't just a force. These are these are personal forces, like the angels, who will will take possession of a person's body, not their soul, not their spirit, but of their body, and tempt them and and force them into uh, certain actions. But temptation is something very different. And you know, we have to be careful because sometimes people just make bad choices. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just choose wrong. 
and that's not always the devil made me do it sort of thing. And we have to really quick distinguish to distinguish too. someone that there have been saints who have been obsessed by demons, but they were not sinning. Mm-hmm. So an, a demon can come and take a possession of your body, but you've not consented to it. You might mm-hmm. not even have knowledge of it, yet you can still make a progress as a father Francois Dermine points out in the spiritual life into sanctity. Versus temptation, the temptation's coming at us and we can be turning toward it and be in sin versus obsession. There can be an element of not being in sin. Right. And that a person who has been possessed, even a person who's faced temptation, obviously our Lord faced temptation as well in the desert to say almost nothing of our Lord, but we can reach spiritual perfection through these temptations. Right. Um, even a person who's been possessed can reach Christian perfection because of the suffering that they've endured. And it's also we must be also very careful to mention that you know there is no thing that happens in this world that does not first pass through at least the permissive hands of God. And that's hard for people to hear. He's not saying that God chooses for a demon to possess, obsess, or tempt you, all three different things. But God can permit it because he knows that if you cooperate in his graces, you can overcome. And this is where freedom is so challenging. He chose to make it so that we can freely not just love him, but love ourselves. Yeah, and how we hear and understand that reality that nothing, not even possession, you know, or even possession will pass through the permissive hands of God. That there's nothing that does not pass through the permissive hands of God. How do we understand God when we say that? Because if we're thinking about this idea that, you know, people can be possessed, people can be tempted, that they can be obsessed with the demonic as well, that somehow that surprises God. It catches God by surprise. Uh, We know that that's not true, which means that in some way God is permitting this. You know, there is a difference between God's uh, perfect will and his permissive will, what he allows. You know, there are things that God does not desire, but that he permits. He does not desire and does not lead us into sin, but he permits it to happen. He doesn't even desire our suffering, but he permits it to happen. So I was talking to someone recently about even the things such as, you know, mortification Mm -hmm. and living an ascetic lifestyle. And, you know, people say, well, God just wants to make you happy. God just wants us to be happy. God doesn't want us to live a life of pleasure. God wants us to live a life of conformity to him. And if that requires fasting, if that requires serious behavioral modification, then that is what is necessary to turn our hearts and our minds and our bodies ultimately to God. Yeah, and one of the things that I work with people in direction when they're considering a fast or some kind of mortification is, is God the one asking you to do this? Mm. Because we can enter into these things without without God asking us to do it. And yes, God can make grace come through that. But strangely, I really believe in becoming more and more convicted of this is that we will sometimes choose mortifications for ourselves without asking God, is this what you want me to enter into? And there are moments that if we choose to uh, do something God's not asking us to do, he won't give us the grace to endure it. Mm. And it'll become a great suffering. And it will, you know, if it's not helping us grow in charity, if it's not helping us grow in holiness, God will allow that to happen, but won't give us the grace to endure it. But isn't this why pride came before the fall? Mm. Pride ultimately is the sin of all sins because our proudness that we may think is this great justification. I'm doing this mortification. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, you know, right. going to daily mass. But if our hearts are not being transformed through prayer and union to God, any decision we may make 
could still mean that there's a whole lot of ugly inside, even if we are going through the right motions exteriorly. Yeah, and we'll look to some of the greatest saints who went through great and and very difficult mortifications and we'll say, I want to be like that saint, so I'm going to do what they did. I'm going to, I'm going to fast as much as they did. I'm going to sleep two hours a night. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to do all of this stuff because it worked for that saint. But God uh, brings everybody to holiness in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he calls us all to uh, holiness in different ways and gives us the grace to uh, come to that holiness. But if we choose to do something he's not asking us to do, you know, he, he may withhold that grace so as to call us out of that but that which he does call us to, he grants. And you have to think about fasting too. The church calls us to really forms of at least abstinence on Fridays from mm-hmm. meat and throughout Lent, always abstinence from meat and days of outright full fasting. And realistically, we, you know, the old traditions of the church actually required even more fasting than it does today. But if you enter into the fast without prayer, the fast will not be efficacious ultimately. It will more so almost be like a, it sounds like an extreme war, but a form of a little bit of torture. Mm-hmm. But if you enter into the prayer and offer up that fast or whatever that abstinence from whatever food or behavior that might be, suddenly you're uniting your sacrifice throughout that day, the sacrifice of the cross. Mm-hmm. And it has a meaning and purpose and therefore there's endurance. Right, and you know, especially recently, I've seen that fasting is is not so much about strengthening. You know, sometimes we will think if I can fast for this long a time, look at how much endurance I have. Look at how much stronger I'm getting. Really good at fasting, and the point of fasting is not to get good at fasting. The point of fasting is to make us weak. Mm-hmm. You know, when I don't eat, I get tired. When I get tired, I get grumpy, and when I get <laughs> grumpy, oh, no, actually, ideally, when I get tired, I get weak and humble. And then grace works its way into our lives. You know, this isn't about forcing God to pour grace out on, onto us by our fasting, but it's about creating a space in our in our hearts where we can receive that grace that God is already pouring into our lives. And so fasting is meant to make us tired and weak and hungry and ideally humble. And in that humility, grace can begin to work. And so fasting's supposed to be difficult, but it's also um, in some way will lead can lead to greater temptation because more of these temptations will come when we're tired. Um, But if God is pouring that grace into that fast, then he will give us the grace to endure those temptations. And what greater way to holiness is there than, you know, through Christ's own example of going into that desert, facing that temptation face to face, and letting fasting be the, the weapon that we use against it. I love how we're talking about fasting because many of you listening are saying, okay, this exorcist is saying the greatest demonic threat is ultimately temptation. Well, what do I do? Fasting is a great way to start prayerfully fasting. He talks about we're called to avoid the near occasion of sin. Don't put yourself in situations that could be sinful and call others out of situations that they're putting themselves in. Really increase your prayer life. Don't just pray another Hail Mary, but unite yourself to the cross in prayer. And ultimately, he said, behave correctly and love people that you interact with. One of my favorite pieces of advice about fasting, poverty, simplicity of life, and ultimately letting the grace that comes with that into our lives comes from uh, St. Gregory the Great, who wrote that you know the demons we fight with are naked. 
And we're clothed with all these material things, with our obsessions and our temptations. And they're going to grab a hold of our clothing and tear us down and bring us down with them. But if we free ourselves from all of this stuff, then we'll be able to fight them, wrestle them to the ground. And, and Christ will be able to defeat them through our nakedness that comes mm -hmm. with, with fasting and poverty and simplicity of life. And so to, to let go of these things that are weighing us down, we know that they're weighing us down too. But isn't this such a return to the garden? You know, mm, right, yeah, right. <laughs> prior to the fall, we were completely naked and there is a purity. There is no taking advantage of, there is no necessity. God provided everything. He walked with them in the garden. And if we can get back to the bare bones, spiritually, emotionally, materially, it's going to weed things out of our lives so we can be united to him. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 